Hello. The pace is accelerating as we prepare for integrated care systems to be up and running across England by next April. One place that's been ahead of the curve in integration has been Greater Manchester. Today on Health on the Line, I'll be speaking to a clinical leader about the innovative ways she's working with the system and with other clinical colleagues. We'll explore why it can take time for better ways of working to show up in better outcomes. And I'll also ask her what might be driving what's been called the hidden pandemic, the rise and rise of mental illness in children and young people. New ideas. Big debates. Meeting the changemakers. Transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor, and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. So I'm delighted to welcome... Professor Sandeep Renaud. Sandeep is Executive Director for Mental Health in the Greater Manchester Health and Care Partnership. Welcome, Sandeep. I know you've got a number of roles, but but tell me what your job involves. Um, I think one of the things that is really great about it is the variety. For half of the week, I provide executive medical leadership clinically for the whole of the Greater Manchester region, um, for Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership, which will become the integrated care system. And that's across all ages. Um, So I am one part of uh, an executive medical leadership team. So it's a dispersed leadership model that we have piloted in Greater Manchester, which I think is hugely exciting and something that we're starting to share across the country. So I'm part of a team that is cross-sector, cross-professional. So we have um, executive medical lead for acute care, for primary care, for quality and for mental health. And actually, uh, I think it's a really important point here. Mental health has never before had this uh, level of voice and parity around the strategic table at an integrated care system level. And I think that is really important and something that I hope other regions will follow suit with or at least think about how uh, we can share that uh, learning and the practice that we put in place. And then for the other part of my week, I practice clinically still uh, for one day as a paediatric psychiatrist leading eating disorder services for young people uh, across Greater Manchester, uh, as well as working into the west of the city to help develop their place-based system ahead of the integrated care systems. So a bit of place-based working, ICS level working, and very importantly, the the favourite part of my week, which is my clinics uh, with young people and families. So much there to cover, Sandy. Um, Tell me first about the background to the development of this dispersed leadership team. Where did it it come from? What what are the, the roots of it? So I, I would probably say in, in simple terms, the roots of it were our journey through devolution. So Greater Manchester was part of the devolution experiment uh, six years ago. So we've had a little bit of a head start, I think, in terms of developing uh, what will become an integrated care system at that regional level through devolution and that locally devolved health and social care system working. Um, and it was through that, really, that we've had a journey of the positives as well as the challenges, but a lot of the positives of working as a whole system to develop what is actually really necessary, an ecosystem 
uh, to meet the needs of our populations um, for their health and care. And I think mental health is a really good example of how complex mental health is and the difference between mental health and mental illness, but the requirement of the whole system to grow into an ecosystem to meet the needs of both our patients, but also our communities, all the way from prevention through to what I call prescription or treatment and recovery. So it was breaking down the barriers uh, between commissioning, provision, but also bringing together for the first time professionals from across sectors uh, around a table, which included clinicians and care professionals from health, from social care, from education, from voluntary and community sector, from local government as well, um, and system leaders to actually uh, not just be involved in the commissioning of services, but actually in our strategic priority setting um, and all the way through to delivery and implementation and jointly commissioning the whole pathway of care for the first time. And that's when the evolution of the dispersed medical leadership approach uh, grew really. So we wanted to put forward a proposal as opposed to having one uh, medical director for the whole region. We wanted to approach um, all our developments as an executive medical leadership team so that we started to uh, mirror the working of the whole system through our medical leadership. And we are, we've been doing that now for a year. We started that during COVID. We're evaluating the impact of that now as we speak so that we are still going to put that model forward in the new integrated care systems to support the appointed medical director to the ICB, the integrated care board. And that's the model we would like to see um, developing further and strengthening further as we move forward, because we know that there has been some real positive impacts of being able to work across sectors uh, with mental health acute and primary care colleagues. So Sandy, give me some examples of how this different way of working is landing. And I particularly kind of say that, this this, this challenge of us demonstrating that these work, ways of working, collaborative, holistic, that they really deliver change, partly because I was at an event just the other day and, and somebody very senior said, you know, we we have great conversations about doing things differently, but in my patch, we have young people waiting for mental health care who could be helped by a digital service because actually digital services have got good outcomes for particular groups. And yet they've got to go and see their GP and they may have to wait weeks for a GP appointment simply so they can be referred to a digital, uh, uh, you know, digital provision, which they could access tomorrow. Um, so so I guess what this person was expressing was a kind of sense of we're good at creating the right conversations and putting people in the room together and our intentions are good, but yet somehow this doesn't always translate into even quite obvious actions to actually improve the quality and access to the service. Many of my own colleagues have said similar, Matthew, to me, and, and that's that's been the challenge. Um, our intentions there, we're all speaking from the same hymn sheet, but for some reason, we whether it's bureaucratic barriers, we don't seem to be able to actually deliver on what we're saying. What is that about? Where are the obstacles and why? So I guess that's why we're so keen to share our uh, journey and share our experiences from Greater Manchester's devolution. So I think I'm going to give you two examples, if that's okay, Matthew. Um, one 
is mental health specific because I think it is a good example. And the second is actually an example of our working through COVID um, as a dispersed medical leadership team specifically. But the mental health example um, is an example that I wish to share because it's the model that can absolutely be in our gift and opportunity in every region as an integrated care system if you actually get your clinical and care professional leadership models right, working very visibly in your governance structures for your ICS systems so that your strategic priority setting as well as being consulted upon in terms of quality, patient safety, etc. So that's really important. It's about the joint commissioning, both at a place-based level and at an ICS level. So for mental health, it you know, one of our complexities has always been exactly that, that health or specialist health has commissioned its pathway, primary care is doing its bit, education is doing its bit, social care is doing its its bit, all in different places, if that makes sense. So one of the things that we did was the development of a Greater Manchester-wide, at an ICS level, student mental health service. So what we mean is a higher education mental health service, dedicated provision for our students. We have five universities, four universities and a conservatorium in Greater Manchester. We have just over 110,000 students. Um, And we know from uh, across the country, the rising demand in our student population for mental health uh, presentations and for mental health care in need, but the fragmented care that many have been receiving, um, and that is a lot of that is to do to due to commissioning. So that was where we came from. But we knew that we needed to have an integrated approach with our A&E UEC physical health care colleagues, our primary care colleagues, and indeed our universities. We brought all of those partners together and we developed the proposal collaboratively. So it was clinically led, commissioner driven, all partners involved, and we set up program boards and delivery boards, etc. And we developed the pathway, the proposal, and jointly commissioned this service, which started two years ago. And we have our first evaluation report of the first 18 months that we have managed to be able to deliver that through COVID and also included our digital partners in that. And we've cut down, we've broken down the barriers of GP being registered with a GP. Um, for instance, if you live in Nottingham, but you come to Manchester University, if you're a student here, you will get that service from us. That's a, a, a great story. And you're, 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 you're looking to receive that evaluation quite soon. We've really got it. We, oh, you've got we, it. And, yeah. and, and, and what is it come, what conclusions has it come to? So um, obviously, as as all evaluations of this kind of um, nature, they are complex, multi-layered, and there is no gold standard outcome measurement. But we looked at academic outcome measures, whole system impact, as well as health. And we've had some really unanimously positive results. Uh, and just to give you a flavor of that, we've it's too early to kind of make comment on are we seeing longer term academic positive outcomes in terms of students staying on their courses and completing them? But they've certainly what we are seeing has been a reduction in crisis presentations to our A&E departments, which has been a huge, huge positive impact on the system. We've also had uh, huge positive qualitative feedback, both from students themselves in terms of their experience of care navigation and a more joined up uh, provision of care, but also from staff in our academic 
institutions in terms of their confidence levels of, of, of managing risk. That's really impressive. I think, Sandeep, you had a second example. Yes, I did have a second example. Um, and I think this perhaps slightly links to the question one of your colleagues, I think, posed in terms of intention, but actually feeling that delivery wasn't always there particularly around children and young people's mental health. Um, I think one of the things is, why can't we um, get better at that digital access and commission those services? And we have done that through our Greater Manchester kind of devolution uh, dividend, if you like. We now have uh, grown from one of our localities commissioning to 10 of our localities commissioning a digital organisation, Couth, in fact, uh, so they're commissioned as part of the whole pathway in all 10 of our localities now. We will now have to examine and evaluate the impact of that. So that's ongoing. But another um, way in which we've been able to work as a whole system together, which I think is really important, has been that over the last 12 months, what we have seen is a rising need uh, and presentation of young people, particularly at our A&E departments, in crisis, not always with an AXIS-1 clinical diagnosis, psychiatric diagnosis, but they are presenting with high risk and complexity, uh, risk, to se- risk to themselves often. Now, this does not always mean they have a mental illness, but they have mental health needs and social care needs. So it's a very complex mix of needs that they're presenting with, but ultimately they're presenting with risk and risk issues and need. And this is where we must not say, well, we're from health, we've done our assessment, it isn't health, it's not us. We need to respond actually as a whole system together and support our A&E departments, but more importantly, support our young people, families and carers to reduce that risk and meet the need of the young person in crisis. So what we've been able to do through that integrated care system approach and through the approach of this dispersed medical executive team is for the first time, believe it or not, we have actually over the last five months developed a jointly held mental health and social care policy, escalation policy for children and young people. We've had separate policies for years and years, But we've never held at an ICS level a joint between mental health, social care and the system, an escalation framework and policy that not only then is owned by the whole system, including our our urgent and emergency care colleagues, but actually is a framework and a shared language that will then also help young people, families, carers in the community to ensure that we're following a framework and going through those steps, reducing that anxiety in the crisis uh, kind of time and being able to then uh, work as a whole system to act in the best interests of young people, families, carers, local authorities often who are looking after uh, these children who might be in residential care. Um, and we've been able to develop that over the last four months Um and get that approved, etc. So this was not a commissioning issue. This was more about joint ownership, uh, sign-off approval, um, and also the legal um, aspects around that that then is owned by the ICS. Uh, and we are 
launching. We, we, we're launching this week. We've actually done the soft launch and we're moving into the full launch next week, which will also be about sharing that with our other ICS colleagues. We have Lanks and Cumbria and Cheshire and Wirral already interested in adopting the same. And we will follow that up on our own patch with a number of webinars to support our place-based systems and our acute colleagues in the how to use. As you said, Sandy, the Greater Manchester has been kind of ahead of the curve in relation to the scope for collaboration and integration. And when I talk to people in the Northwest, there's often a very positive story about a collaboration. I hear that from, you know, the regional NHSE office. I hear that from you and from other leaders. I guess the critique is that doesn't that story of collaboration and being ahead of the curve isn't always reflected in the kind of outcomes. So whether it's kind of health outcomes in the Northwest, or there was recently a Centre for Policy Studies critique of ICSs, which singled out Greater Manchester and said that in terms of some measures of integration, like people, for example, being in hospital who don't need to be, the outcomes were hadn't improved and in fact had deteriorated. I wonder what lessons we can learn then, Sandeep, in particular, you know, how do we get right the fact that we need quick wins from ICSs? Because, you know, I've been involved in politics for a long time, and I know that it doesn't take long for a policy to get a bad name, and it's very hard to get a, to, 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 to win back trust from ministers and officials. So you need to demonstrate success early on. But then everybody knows that integration takes time. It's about building relationships. So what insights can you offer others as they embark on this ICS agenda about how we get this, how we're able to demonstrate we're making impact, even though this is a long game? So what I would say in terms of, you're absolutely right in terms of some of those outcomes, but it's not been long enough, Matthew. Um, I don't believe it's been long enough to really see the uh, impact of integrated care, even in Manchester with the head start with devolution. I think what we have demonstrated is some of the positive outcomes in mental health, which I don't believe have necessarily been highlighted as much nationally. You could correct me on that. I don't know. But what we've also got to remember is we've had COVID in between and the Northwest, in particular Greater Manchester, was disproportionately affected by a number of um, other confounding variables in terms of pre-existing high levels of cardiovascular disease, social deprivation, huge diversity in terms of population, BAME populations, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't think it's as simple as devolution didn't work, for instance. Um, I do think we need to keep working at that and actually um, strengthen the things that we know we did get right, which are which have been the relationships, which have been the um, breaking down of the barriers of working across sectors and across professions. Um, for instance, as a clinician in the system, I never before have worked with our political offices in the way, in the way that we've done in the last five years. So I think we now have those relationships. We now have ways of working. We have governance systems. We can now strengthen those and build on those. It's in our gift and it's absolutely our duty to put that forward and continue to do that. And then what I would say is, is actually to share more. I think we've probably not been as 
vocal as we should have been about some of the uh, outcomes that have been positive. So I think mental health has been a good example of where where we started from was a terrible baseline. Less than 25% of our young people who needed to access services were. We're now at 48%. So nowhere near what it should be, but look at where we've come from too. So I don't think we've necessarily uh, publicised or communicated those successes. What we haven't done is be able to demonstrate that across the whole system. You're absolutely right. But I think it's too early. Um, the dispersed leadership model has, is only a year old. So what we are um, going to do very, very strongly is advocate for that model in the future ICS. And what I would say to other integrated care systems is we really have to get clinical and care professional leadership right. We must not um, fall into the trap of it becoming tokenistic and just kind of named and there to be an advisory forum. We absolutely need to ensure that clinical and care professional leadership, and when I say clinical and care professional, it's a mouthful, but for a reason. It's not just NHS specialist clinicians. It's not just doctors and nurses. This is about a wider set of uh, clinicians and care professionals, both from NHS health, from private health care, from voluntary community sector, from social care, from primary care, from all our providers, uh, from NWAS, et cetera, et cetera. That needs to be not just represented in stakeholder groups and be able to be engaged, but we need to have clinical and care professional executive level forums that are there to work with our integrated care boards and integrated care partnerships to set the priorities moving forward for each ICS, to be accountable for quality and safety, that's their USP, and to also be involved in the delivery and implementation. And for me, that is absolutely crucial. We need to be there uh, working with our other system leaders operationally, politically, finance and commissioning. And what do you think, Sandy, for somebody who's been on this journey yourself, what are the big challenges for the clinicians when they take on these kinds of leadership roles, when they're working alongside not just senior managers, but also um, folk from local government, folk from the third sector? That's taking, often will be taking clinicians out of their comfort zones into a more contested political kind of space. So what have you had to learn in order to be able to be effective in those kinds of forums? Um, kind of answering the last bit of your question first in some ways, um, I think there needs to be much more teaching and learning around leadership, not just clinical leadership, but systems leadership. If we're really going to shape and develop um, our future clinicians, we we need to provide them with the toolkits much earlier on than when they become a consultant, because a lot of the culture is already embedded then. Um, I think a lot of my learning was done through mentorship and storytelling and the power of story. I could, I can't reiterate enough how important having one or two mentors is and changing them over your um, career pathway and the course of your career. No matter how senior, no matter how experienced you get, have a mentor or two mentors. And I've always had two, one clinical from my own kind of background of, of health and, um, psychiatry and mental health, but one purposefully as I became a leader, non-clinical, non-health. And I think that's been really, really crucial. And secondly, it's really remembering that um, 
relationships are key to every successful partnership. I, I'm a lover of cricket as well. And um, I always say to people, one of um, one of the greatest cricket captains of the world, although I'm an English cricket fan, not an Indian cricket fan, but he was uh, MS Dhoni, the, the Indian cricket captain, when he was appointed, was interviewed by many around the world who assumed that he was in it for you know, winning the trophies. And he said, actually, that's not why I am. I'm so proud to have been chosen to be a captain, a leader for my country. And I, it isn't about that. It's actually what I want to do is develop great partnerships. And once you've developed great partnerships, the centuries will follow. And that really has been my experience. And some of those relationships have been difficult to build and have taken time. Can we can we shift to the other part of your work, which is, well, to focus particularly on what's happening in relation to young people's mental health. There is, there's been talk of a second pandemic behind the first pandemic, the COVID pandemic, and that's a pandemic of mental ill health and particularly amongst young people. So first of all, what do you think is driving this apparently ever-increasing incidence of mental illness amongst young people? Another great question. So complex. Um, the Centre for Mental Health did some brilliant modelling work last year in their reports, um, and, th- and this was very much their prediction. It is happening, and I think the first thing to do is to name that and not have any elephants in the room, and I think we need to be able to talk about it, but not just as clinicians and experts and specialists. We need to be able to talk about it as communities, as families, as teachers, as whole systems, as professionals, we need to be able to talk about it and recognise it so that we are tra- so that we're able to then strengthen our systems that we already have, because they were challenged already, weren't they, Matthew, before the pandemic? One of our biggest challenges is our workforce. That's not gone away. So we need to be realistic, because often expectations of our populations and public, of which we're one, can be managed much better if we're honest. We have to be honest with our public and manage that expectation. So one of the things is we are in this. And is it the pandemic after the pandemic? I believe it is. How long will it last? Don't know. And actually, what we also must instill in our populations and in ourselves is hope and positivity, not false hope, but actually positivity in that um, there are things we can do and there are things that we can all do as a whole system. So it's not about expecting just NHS specialist bit of the system. We're going to have to do this together and we're going to have to work together in a way we've never worked before. Hence, I believe the integrated care system is our opportunity. We need to think outside of the box in terms of our workforce. We have a brilliant volunteering community, social enterprise sector that are doing more and more work, but are still, I believe, more of an untapped resource than a tapped resource. We need to commission them more than we do before. Um, And we, we need to think more creatively about how we make those partnerships and commission them so that we have the capacity to meet the rising demand. You mentioned digital before as well. That's another sector we absolutely have to commission within our pathways. We do have to look at industry. That doesn't mean we're selling the NHS. 
It means that we're partnering with so that we can meet the demands and so that we can meet the need of, of our population, because that actually is the most important thing, is it not? That we're meeting the needs of young people so that they can achieve their full potential. If a young person had diabetes, they would still be at school. They would be receiving treatment. It would not be a reason for them to not go on to university. And we mustn't make mental health and mental illness um, a reason for them dropping out, not achieving their potential. Actually, this is about true parity for, for, from a mental health perspective. Um, I think what we're learning is um, through the pandemic, particularly the UK and particularly the Northwest, we had a very prolonged lockdown in tier four. And the unintended consequences of COVID-19 uh, lockdown is not a natural thing for human beings. We're not, we're pack animals, if you like, where uh, we need social interaction we need to be in groups we need that peer group interaction and although uh, we've done lots of things to help that in lockdown through digital enablers through zoom through teams through social media etc that's fantastic it's not only meant that people have kept connected as families and friends but it means we've been able to deliver health care uh, we've continued to be able to work as professionals no matter what industry however that said Young people, young adults, anybody, we still need social interaction. We also know that the removal of school for many young people as a normal routine structure of their week has had a, quite a negative and detrimental impact on young people. Young people respond extremely well to structure and routine. So that was a big, big impact for many young people. It also meant the removal of school, which I think and I hope lots of people have realised what an amazing job our education set to do. Teachers are, for me, essential workers, frontline workers. They also are often one of our most important partners and stakeholders. They're the, they're, they provide so much informal pastoral care to young people. We've also seen a huge, um, I guess, health inequality and education inequality divide seen through lockdown. Um, uh, and unfortunately, that's down to often resourcing, et cetera, et cetera. So we've seen disparities between independent schools and state-run schools in terms of uh, time that young people have had online or one-to-one -one with teachers or deliverers of education or pastoral care. And there's been a huge divide between independent schools who've um, had a lot more access to that than our state-run schools. But I did want to also just end by saying it hasn't been negative for everybody. And one of the pieces of work we've been able to do through our dispersed leadership uh, medical executive team and our integrated care system is actually uh, been led by uh, students in further education colleges across Greater Manchester. They've done a piece of work through the pandemic about the pandemic and the impact on them, very much led by them, their voice. They've developed a set of tools and resources that we're now going to make uh, use of for all schools and colleges through a portal for young people now returning to school, which is where we're also seeing a rise in demand uh, for mental health needs, is that it's not been bad for everyone. They don't want to be referred to as the generation lost in lockdown. They hate that term. What they want to say is 
people have been affected and we want to help our peers who have mental health needs and who, uh, who in whom we're seeing that rise. But don't forget all of those young people who have actually survived the lockdown. And what they're saying is they have also developed skills and resilience through lockdown um, and a way of coping and a way of being able to support each other as peers, a way of self-learning, gaining different skills that they didn't think they had, that they want to put back into the system to help us as services to help their peers in schools. So I think that's really, really key as well, Matthew. It's important to balance the the, the negatives and the positives uh, of lockdown as we take those forward um, and, and provide hope and positivity and support this generation as well as support our services with the reality of that rise and how we meet the, the demand moving forward. Well, well, Sandeep, it's been it's been great talking to you. And I think that that last answer encapsulates something really important, which is that one of the lessons that COVID has taught us is the complex nature of mental health and that if we are going to address a situation of more and more young people presenting mental health problems, it's not going to be a health service answer. It's going to need to be a whole society uh, answer. So, Sandy, thanks so much for giving us your time. And um, I, I think let's speak to each other again at some point in the future, both about what's happening with young people's mental health, but also about the vital work you're doing in terms of clinical leadership in the ICS. Thank you. Please do, Matthew. Pleasure. You've been listening to Health on the Line from the NHS Confederation. Visit nhsconfed.org for more information about us and to register for events and webinars that delve deeper into the issues explored in this podcast. And save the date for NHS Confed Expo, the premier event in the health and care calendar, taking place on the 15th and 16th of June 2022 in Liverpool.